Numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one co-worker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before. But it all starts with one. I've got my one. And now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? Well, last Sunday morning in our two services, several hundred of you brought cards to the altar and laid them at the at the foot of the cross. And on that card, you'd written a name of one person God's put on your heart you care about. Someone who's far from God, running from God, doesn't know the Lord, and they need Christ. And so you're burdened for them, and you say, I'm going to pray for them. And that's the one person this year in particular above everybody else God's put on my heart I'm going to focus on. And so thank you so much for doing that. But as I begin, I want to take it a little bit in a little bit different direction and ask you a question. The God of this universe, now think about this. There's a little over 7.5 billion people on this planet. You're just one of them. The person you, whose name you wrote in that card, just one. You're just one out of 7.5 billion on this planet. Here's my question for you. Do you really believe that God loves you? I mean, you've heard it your whole life if you've been in church, but I want to ask you, deep down, out of 7.5 billion people on this planet, do you really believe God loves you? Do you really think God knows your name? That God knows the details of your life? That God cares about you? That God is counted as the gospel say, even the hairs on your head? Do you really believe God cares about you? Just think about how incredible that is. How, how you know, just amazing it is to think that the God who created everything in this world, He knows you. He knows your life, your name, your your circumstances and he just just think about how 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 strange that is if you just think about it from a human terms if you've never heard it before kind of reminds me of a guy in Georgia about three years ago who killed one of these this is an armadillo now normally when you think about these things you you think of Texas right but they're becoming a nuisance in other parts of the country as well and uh Man, they're ugly. If you think they're pretty, God bless you, um, but they're ugly. They're just a rat with a tank shell. That's all it is. It's just that's all it is. And they carry disease, leprosy. I mean, I mean. And so authorities in South Georgia tell everybody: if you see one of these, take them out, run over it, catch it in a trap, uh, shoot it, kill it, get rid of them. Okay, they're a pest. Get rid of them. And so about three years ago, one Sunday night, this, this man in his 50s named Larry McElroy, that's his house in South Georgia, went out into his backyard and he saw one of these. So he went back into the house and got a pistol. 
went outside and he shot it. He killed it. The bullet not only hit the armadillo and killed the armadillo, but it ricocheted and hit the fence in his backyard. (laughs) Bounced off the fence and went through the back door of a nearby mobile home through the back of a reclining, a recliner in which his mother-in-law was seated. <laughs> ah, think about it. He shot his mother-in-law while trying to kill an armadillo. Now, the good news is she lived, okay? By then, it lost some velocity, and, and, and she, 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 she walked out and was treated at the hospital, and she's okay. But what are the odds? I mean, what are the odds of that, right? If you tried to recreate that if he went out there and shot that armadillo in the same place again he couldn't recreate that scenario again if he wanted it's just crazy right the way all that happened armadillo fence back door recliner mother-in-law just about as crazy just about as crazy as thinking that the god of the universe looks down and sees 7.5 billion people today and not just those today but the ones who live before us and the ones who will live after us 7.5 billion and God says to each of you graduates I know your name I know every detail of your life and I care and I love you that's how God feels about the one you brought to the altar And if you weren't here last Sunday, uh, there are these cards, Who's Your One cards, available on on tables in the back of the room this morning. As you exit, you can get one uh, between the doors and write a name and keep it it in your Bible and pray for that person and and minister to that person this year. But God feels about that person the same way he feels about you. And and I, I think you wrote those names down because you care. And the more you understand how much God cares, the more you will care. And so what Jesus did is in, in Luke 15, he tells some stories. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and get it out right now and open it to Luke 15. And all you young ones down here that were standing up here and couldn't carry anything, get your smartphones out because I know you have them. I already see them. And uh, get off of Facebook and, and open it to the Bible app, Luke chapter 15, because God's watching, so am I. Okay. <laughs> Well, he is. I can't see you with these TV lights, but God can. So Luke 15, because <laughs> oh, I'm getting some looks. Jesus tells three stories. Now, to understand these stories, you have to understand the context, all right? In Luke 15, here's the context in verses 1 and 2. He said all the tax collectors, and that was a group of people that they weren't very popular because they were Jews who collected taxes from Jews for the Romans who had conquered their home country. And so all of their fellow Jews thought they were traitors, turncoats, and they were hated. They were despised. And then sinners, people who had no religious ambition, who were uh, making a lot of bad decisions. Notice it says in verse 1, they were coming near Jesus to listen to him. There was something about Jesus that attracted these, these, these people. And so they're, they're hanging out with Jesus. They're, they're wanting to be around him. And in verse 2, it says, The Pharisees and the scribes, two of the more religious groups in their, in their culture, began to grumble, complain, fuss, saying, This man, they're, they're talking about Jesus. You ever said something like that about somebody? That, can you make, can you, that person, you know what, he, them, 
that group, that person, those. You ever said anything like that? Usually when we, when we use those words about somebody, it's not positive, right? Well, that's how they're talking about Jesus. That man, Jesus, receives sinners, and he eats with them. And in their culture, to eat with somebody, to have a meal with somebody was a big deal because it was saying on some level, you, you're, you're receiving that person. That was a big deal. And, and that's the reason these religious people were so frustrated and upset with Jesus doing that. And it's interesting because here's all these people that had very little, if anything, in common with Jesus, yet they're coming to him. They're attracted to him. But the religious, the religious people, the Pharisees, didn't like that. Didn't like it. Now, here, here's what's interesting. The longer you're, you're, in, you're a follower of Jesus, the longer you're in church, the longer we are what we are, if we're not careful, there's a tendency. There's a tendency to drift in our thinking and our attitude. There's a tendency to drift in the direction of the Pharisees. But the longer, the longer we're, we're part of the family, so to speak, there's this tendency, if we're not careful, to, to drift and start thinking like they did. Would you, can you, I just can't believe those people. I just can't believe that, that that person. There's a tendency to move that direction and to keep everybody at arm's length and not want anything to, to do with them and really not want them to be part of the church, to be honest. Might not say it out loud, but... We sort of on some level start filling it. So Jesus tells these three stories to help us understand God's heart. And so the first story is found in verses 4 through 7. And he says, uh, What man among you has a hundred sheep, and he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And then Jesus says, here's, here's the application, here's the punchline. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Short, succinct story that makes a very important and powerful point. God rejoices more when one person who's living a messed up life repents and gets right with God than over 99 of us who are already safe and in the pasture, so to speak. And, and from a business standpoint, that doesn't always make sense. Some people would argue, why don't, you, why don't you just cut your losses? You've got 99. Focus on that. Take care of that. Don't lose anymore. Why do you worry about that one? Why do you even care about that one? Why are you going out there and doing anything about it? Just, just cut your losses and take care of what you have. It's, and that's how a lot of people would approach it. But Jesus said God doesn't. Now, why is it that God feels so differently about that? Why does God care about why, why does God look at it differently? Let me give you a couple of reasons. One is that God knows that the 99 are already safe. They're already in the family. They're already in the pasture, so to speak. They're already saved, already forgiven. They already have a relationship with him. They're safe. But that one is at great risk. That one 
is in trouble and he cares about that one and he and, and he can't forget that he can't ignore that and jesus says that's the heart of god and to drive it home says you need to hear me he says there is more rejoicing in heaven over that one being found than over 99 already being safe pretty strong pretty strong comment but that's the heart of jesus that's the heart of that's the heart of, of God. Recently, we had, a, we had a man out at the house doing some carpentry work. And we were talking, and he told me something I, I, didn't, I didn't remember. Back in the mid-'90s, when we were still downtown, he and his family came to our church for a little while. I didn't remember that. And he, he told me a story that I also did not remember. He said, one Sunday night after we had worship service, and uh, couldn't find his little girl. She was somewhere in the building and nobody could find her. And he and his wife, they were in a panic. And so everybody, you know, started looking for this little girl trying to find her. And, and, uh, and he, said, he said, Pastor Steve, you were helping us look for her. Now, I don't remember that, but he said, you were helping us look for her. And uh, we found her. And you can imagine how anxious a parent would be when their little kid is missing and then they find them. They're really excited and happy and whew, calmness. And Jesus said, that's God. I mean, what would it be like if we'd all just stood in the sanctuary that night and said, hey, well, we're safe in here. She's somewhere. You know, maybe maybe she'll find us. Jesus said, you go out and you look for the one. You don't, you don't just settle for the 99. You go out and you look for the one. That's the heart of God. Then he tells a second story, verses 8 through 10. It's about a woman. He says there's a woman, she has 10, 10 silver coins, which represents all of her wealth. That's, that's, her, that's, that's it, that's all she's got. And she loses one of those coins. Then she lights a lamp and she sweeps the house and searches carefully until she finds it. And when she finds that, that one coin, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, he said, I tell you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, have you ever lost something, misplaced it, couldn't find it, and you tore the house upside down looking for it, tore your room upside down trying to find it? That was this woman. She's panicking. She's going all through the house, cleaning, moving things around, trying to find that one coin. And when she does, she's excited, she's happy, she rejoices, and she celebrates with her friends. But what really, what really jumps out at me is in both of these stories, Jesus, Jesus ends them by saying something. He said, in the same way. In the same way. Just like the, the, the shepherd was excited when he found that one sheep that was lost, when this woman was excited when she found that one coin that was lost, he said in both of those stories, in the same way, in the same way, in the same way, heaven is excited. There's rejoicing in the presence of God. There's rejoicing among the angels. There's rejoicing among everybody in, in the same way. And whatever it is down here that gets you the most excited, whatever happens in life that makes you shout and jump and clap and, and just be so happy you can't stand it, God says that's how they feel in heaven. When one person comes to Jesus and he wants us to feel the same Several years ago, 
when our kids were young, Jacqueline is, is with us today with her family, and she'll remember this. When they were young, we, we, we did a picnic in Kingdom Come State Park, which is on Top Pine Mountain, and, uh, and then hiked up. That's Raven Rock where we hiked to. That's a picture from last summer when we were up there. It's a place we like to go. But several years ago when they were young, I don't know how old, elementary age, we had a picnic before we did some hiking. And uh, so it was me and our family, mom and my sister, brother, and their kids. And, and um, uh, my mom has a twin sister, and her kids live in another part of the state. And so they had come in with some of their kids. And so it was just kind of a little, you know, a family together, and we had to picnic. And then we decided to hike. And there's a lot of trails up there on Pine Mountain and in that park. And one of them goes up to Raven Rock, a big old beautiful outcrop, uh, you know, near the top of the mountain. So we're going to hike up there. And some of these trails have some good markings. Some of them don't. So we're, we're, we're moving. And Stephen and Jacqueline decided to do what kids will do. You know what they did, don't you? They just ran off. Head. And um, yesterday, Monisa and I took their two kids, Liam and Liliana, down to Lansford Canal Park. And, uh, and uh, it was funny. If Liam kicked the log, so did his little sister. Whatever he did, she did. And so that's what happened that day. Stephen ran off and Jacqueline followed. And they went up those trails and we're going to Raven Rock. We can't find them. They're not at Raven Rock. They just kept going. And so what do we do? We all start yelling. I mean, everybody in the family, we were all calling out, going on different trails, trying to find them. We got strangers calling their names. And minutes passed and we're all in a panic. I mean, they're up there. And eventually, they make their way back to us. Now, Thank God Stephen has a good sense of direction. If it had been Jacqueline, she'd still be up there in the mountain somewhere. I don't, I, oops, oops, sorry, babe. Uh, uh, but they, they may, and can you, you, hey, parents, do you know how we felt? I mean, it's such a mixture of emotions. You want to kill them, and then you want to hug them to death, right? It was all of that in there at the, the same time, such relief. And Jesus says, That's how he feels. Because there's all these people out here in this world. You're one. You're one. The the name that you wrote down, you're one that God's put on your heart. That's how he feels about that one. He cares that much. And he wants to celebrate. He wants to celebrate. Do you care that much? Do you care that much even about the one that you placed on a card here in front of the cross last Sunday morning at the altar? How much do you care? How passionate are you about it? And then then he tells another story, and this is the one that's better known, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11. And and in this story, here's this, this, this father that has two sons. The younger one of them comes to his dad and wants the dad to go ahead and give him his part, his share of the estate, the inheritance before the father even dies. And for whatever reason, the father does that. He gives him money, gives him his part of the estate. And after a little while, the younger son leaves home and moves away to, to a distant place. And the Bible says, Jesus says he wasted all that money on wild living. Later in the story, we learn that he, he was involved you know, with prostitutes. And who, who, who can really imagine all these? But he, but he eventually wasted all of it. And things got so bad he needed to find a job. There was a famine, so there weren't many jobs. And the only job he could get was working on a farm, feeding hogs, the swine. And and for a Jew, because of their dietary rules and all that, you can't sink any lower than have to work with pigs. And so he's out there feeding them. And 
And he does, the Bible doesn't say he eats their food, but he's so hungry because nobody would give him anything to eat that he, man, he was tempted. He didn't, but that's how bad off he was. And suddenly it says, I think around uh, verse 17, that he came to his senses. Came to his senses. And, and he said to himself, you know, back home on the farm, even those workers, those, those servants of my dad, those who his employees, they live better than I'm living. They have more to eat than I have. So I'm going to go home and, and see if my dad will at least give me a job. He says, I, I don't deserve more than that because I know I've sinned against God and heaven and I'm not worthy to be a son, but maybe he'll just, you know, let me, let me have a job. And so he goes home. And the father looks up and the Bible says, while the son is still a, a, a distance away, the father looks out and he sees his boy coming home. Now, if you've not heard this story before, okay, just try to imagine you've never heard the, the story of the prodigal son. Put yourself in a modern-day situation where, where you have a child that, that now is an adult and they leave home and they make a mess of their life and they waste everything and they do one stupid thing after another stupid thing and they hurt you and you're praying for them. But they hurt you. They hurt you. You grieve over them because of the way they're living. You haven't heard from them, no letter, no text, no email, no phone call, nothing. And one day they're at your front door. Haven't apologized, haven't said anything, haven't given you any warning. All of a sudden, they just show up and they're at your front door. How would you react? How would you feel? The truth is, I think most of us would have some real mixed emotions, right? On one level, we might be happy and want to hug them, but on another level, we want to be angry and frustrated and say, what are you doing here and how dare you? I can just imagine there being all kind, all of that in there at the same time, right? Especially if there's been no contact, no, no apology, no anything. First time you see them, it's going to be all these emotions. But Jesus said, this father, Saw his son from a distance before the son ever said a word to him. And this father, this father ran to his boy. And this father threw his arms all around him and embraced him and hugged him. And, and then it says he kissed him and, and it literally means he, he, he just fell all over him, kissing him on his cheek and neck and just a long hug and a lot of kisses. He was so excited to, to see him and, and, and finally the son gets an opportunity to speak and he says to the father, Father, listen, I, I know I blew it. I sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I just want a job. What did the father do? He said, no. He had some of the servants. He said, go, go get the best robe. And this wasn't just his old clothes. Take off the dirty clothes. Don't just put on his old clothes. But that robe, that was the special robe they saved for special guests that came to a dinner party. Put it on the sun. And, and they said, hey, put that ring on his finger, which was a symbol of the family authority. You are my son. And put some new shoes on his feet. And go out there and get that big fat cow, kill it, because tonight we're having, we're having good food. We're having a party. We're going to celebrate. We're going we're to barbecue. We're going to have a blast because my boy's home. And that's what they do. You want to know the heart of God? That's it. That's it. That's how God feels. How close, 
How much does your heart resemble his? Hmm? That's his heart. Um, see, I think the father had been praying for that boy. And when you're praying for someone with passion and compassion, you're always looking out to see them. You're always looking out to find a way to love them, to talk to them. When you're, when you're praying for them, you don't ignore them. That's the Father. That's God. The Father's God. But there was an older brother who had never left home, done everything. When you read the story in, 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 the, in the 20-some of those verses, uh, he, he hadn't disobeyed his father. He'd been a good son, a good kid, always done what he was supposed to do, hadn't wasted stuff. He'd always been there. And he makes his way to the house and he hears the singing, the dancing, the music, the noise. There's a party. He didn't know there was going to be a party. What's going on? And he finds out that uh, his younger brother had come home and he's talking to one of the servants. And, and the Bible says he's so angry and he won't even go in the house. He's just angry. And then the father comes out and, and pleads with him to come in and join the party. And he says no because he, he says that son of yours, he wouldn't even call him his brother, that son of yours wasted all your money and was with prostitutes. And, and I've been here all this time and I've always obeyed you and been a good son. And not once did you throw me this kind of party. And the father says to him, son, don't you, listen, the whole time you've been here, everything that was mine was yours. And you've been safe. And then I love the way the father turns it on the older boy. Because the older, older, the older son had said, that son of yours... What did the father say? Your brother. He was dead. He was spiritually dead. But now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. And he says, we had, this is what Jesus said, we had to rejoice. We had to celebrate. Because God will do nothing less. And when you understand the heart of God, you will feel the same way. That's how important, how important it is. There's a cemetery outside Chicago called Homewood Memorial Gardens. Part of that cemetery the uh, Cook County, where Chicago is located, um, has a contract to bury indigents and homeless people, those that nobody claims when they die. They don't know who they are. There's no name. Nobody comes to claim the body. And so they, they bury them there, and they, they bury them in wooden boxes, and they'll often dig a trench, 
And they'll stack those boxes in, in this a long trench, sometimes one on top of the other. No, nobody knows who they are. Nobody claimed them. They just died on the streets. They died somewhere, and they're buried like that. And no, no marker, no nameplate, no anything. They're just, they're just buried. Didn't start out that way. Each and every one of those. There was a time in their life when someone knew who they were. They started out with someone knowing their name. Someone held them. For most of them, there there was someone who loved them. These these are people who had an identity, who, who, who had a story. But then everything turned tragic. And that can happen for a lot of different reasons. They died unknown, buried in a mass grave, and then it's just covered over, no marker, nothing to even mark the spot. When, when you're one, okay, and, and, and graduates, let me tell you something you, you may not know yet. Over the next four or five Six, however long it takes you to finish, uh, over the next few years, you have one of the best opportunities, the easiest opportunities you will ever have in your lifetime to be a positive influence on one. Because you will never again be surrounded by so many people with whom you can have conversations. Never again be surrounded by so many people that you can so easily invite to go to church, even more so than in your high school. But all of our ones, okay, each and every one, when our ones die, there will probably be people who know who they are and their name and their story and people at their funeral, and they'll have something to identify where they're buried but they will still be dead and buried without Jesus. He won't be there. And that's more tragic than all of those coffins you saw on on the screen. So what what are you going to do about your one? And, and to the graduates, when, when David was talking about finding a church, because you've got a choice to make. You can spend the next four years and get your education and have friends and do this and do that and enjoy some stuff and absolutely waste the best opportunity you will ever have to make an impact for good and for Christ. Or you can say, I'm not going to throw away that opportunity. But that's, that's, that's the next four years. What about your one? What's one thing you can do this week in addition to praying for them? What's one thing you can do for your one this week 
to, to love them, to care for them, to, to help them. That, that is beyond. That is an addition to praying for them. Can you take someone to lunch and just catch up and share what God's done in your life recently? Can you, can you call someone and just talk and then say, hey, what's going on and how can I pray for you and then pray with them? Can you invite them to Father's Day to worship on Father's Day, uh, especially if it's a guy, a dad? Can you invite them to the Celebration of Freedom patriotic service the end of this month? Can, is there something going on in their life where they need some help? What can you do for your one this week beyond just praying? For them. See, every time God puts somebody in your life, He does that so that you can care, so that you can bless, so that you can be a witness, so that you can make a positive impact. So, what's the one thing you will do? Can you think it in your mind right now? What's the one thing you will do? Or will you say, hey, I don't care. What's the one thing you can do? Let's stand. Team's going to lead us in singing and pastors are here at the front. I'm inviting you all over this room to come to the altar. Pray for your one. Pray for your one. Pray for yourself to know how to Love, help your one. Maybe pray that God gives you faith and courage, okay, and some ideas as to what to do. Pastors are here. You can come and join First Baptist Church. You can request baptism. You can come and pray about anything. Now, listen, there's, there's, there are people in this room, and you know who you are? You're, the, you're that one sheep that wandered away. You're that one coin that fell off the table and was lost. You're that younger son. And today you need to come to your senses and realize life's not better where you are. It's better with God. Because God the Father's looking out and, and one of the ways I know he's doing that is because there are some of you listening to me right now. God is speaking to your heart. There's something going on in here. You're feeling something. You're thinking something. You're dealing with something. And that's your Father in heaven trying to get your attention. And he's looking and he'll, he's going to run to you. But you've got to make your way to him. And so when we sing this song, come to one of these pastors, David or Jamie here, and, and, and say, I'm coming home to the Father. I'm coming home to Jesus. I'm coming to God because I want to be home with Him. I want, I want to live for Him and Him to be my life. I want to stay where I'm at. So I'm going to pray. When I say amen, we sing. And everybody in the room, start walking. Make whatever decision the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart.